Hello, and welcome to the Buddhist Recovery Network podcast. On today's podcast, Vimla Sara talks to Laura Willoughby, the co-founder of Club Soda. Before we hear about the exciting changes this new entrepreneur is making on the recovery scene and in the pubs of London, we'd like to remind you of some exciting events happening in October. First, we'd like to remind you of the European 8-Step Recovery Summit, beginning October 2nd. For more information about that, please email Susanna Avalo at susanna dot a-H-V-A-L-O at gmail.com Next, we'd like to remind you that the Venerable Panavati is our guest speaker for the Academy on Sunday, October 3rd. For more information, please visit our website, BuddhistRecovery.org Now, without further ado, let's hear all about Club Soda. Okay! (laughs) So here we have another uh, female entrepreneur in the recovery world. We're getting more and more women um, coming up through the recovery world. Once upon a time, it was very much dominated by men. And it's just really great to just see um, a lot of women kind of coming up in this field. So Laura, tell me about Club Soda. Oh, well, it's, I mean, it's funny you say that because I I find it more difficult to find men to speak in this space, but I guess that's because there's some nuances to to how we began and the philosophy behind what we do. So uh, I gave up drinking nearly 10 years ago now. I call myself um, that, that, I'm that ladette generation, which in Britain basically means those of us who went through our 20s in, in in, in the 90s, basically where we felt that equality was downing the pints as quick as the boys. And certainly I could do that. And um, I'd realized it was getting a bit too much. I was beginning to scare myself. And so I gave up drinking. And actually, it was because I realized that there were very few options for you to change your drinking. There was AA or there was local authority services, which I knew really well because I've got a background in local government politics but there didn't feel to be something that felt like, uh, you know, Weight Watchers or Slimming World, but with booze, which um, allowed you to set your own target for what you wanted to achieve and then created a community to help you achieve that. So what I would call a self-guided journey to change your drinking. And so I thought about it for a couple of years before I then decided to basically give up my job and go on a programme for people coming out of public sector to create businesses that could solve particular problems. And that's where Club Soda began really on a very early stage incubation business program, looking at what solution we could create. And I can't believe that we are here sort of six years later, still learning, still developing and still growing um, and beginning to think about how we can not only help individuals, but I guess change the way that society works which I'm, I'm not totally surprised about because I am a campaigner by background. So I guess that that's sort of where my personal skills come into play. All right. Well, I've got lots and lots of things to <laughs> ask you. First of all, I really loved hearing the word booze. You know, I, I live in Canada now. So, you know, there are certain <laughs> words you don't hear in North America that you hear back, back in England. And booze is a, is a good, good word. So, 
Um, I thought what was quite interesting is is something about society and the way society is. I mean, what what impact does society have on on alcohol and people drinking? Well, I think there's a couple of things that really interested me from the beginning, and the first of those is actually how society perceives over drinking, and that somehow there's um, a fine there's a line, and and you're either one side of it or another. You've either got a problem or you haven't got a problem. And if you've got a problem, you would go to AA. And there was tons of AA language that has seeped into our culture that then comes very loaded and with lots of judgment about it. When, of course, um, I always describe club soda as, um, as being for people a bit of a dickhead with booze like me. So it isn't saying, oh, you've got a terrible program, your li- problem, your life's falling apart, um, you're almost homeless, and therefore you, you now need to deal with it. It was about saying um, that for many of us, we're, we're worried about how much we're drinking. Our relationship with alcohol is complicated. We are still probably holding down jobs and, and busy family lives, but somewhere alcohol is beginning to really worry us. And and there, there wasn't anything that really supported that space. So it, initially, actually, some of what society does is, is create their, this line of a problem, not problem, and therefore doesn't cater for a whole group of people that are worried about their drinking and want to tackle it before it does get too extreme or before it does get too problematic. And then, of course, we've got the issue that we're all living in a very alcocentric world when, you know, we're, we're constantly being bombarded with um, social and media cues to get pissed and, um, and, you know, dealing with that when you're trying to change your drinking is really difficult. Okay, well, for my listeners, for my North American <laughs> listeners, getting pissed means getting drunk. You know, it's, in fact, we talk about stop extracting the piss out of people. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Just, just, I mean, just. I know. I like to introduce a whole new vocabulary to people. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, what I'm hearing is, I'm actually in in the subtext or beneath that. I'm hearing harm reduction abstinence where 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 is club soda with i mean let's start with you i do you do you still drink alcohol are you completely abstinent um no i don't drink anymore i'm completely alcohol free and i'd use the word alcohol free rather than anything else um because i've been there and done that and there's nothing left in alcohol for me and i much prefer the life that i have now my co-founders it's also wrong to use the word moderate drinkers with them because I think I see them have about one pint a month, if that. So most people would consider moderation working out how much they're going to drink per week, whereas they're certainly alcohol-free by default and occasionally have a drink. Um, But I think it's really important um, that Club Soda um, doesn't use any of the traditional language that's been used in this space. We don't use the word recovery. We don't use the word abstinent. We don't tell people what their goal should be or have any predestined idea on what that is. We just want people to be on the journey, particularly because, um, you know, all those times I tried to moderate before I was ready to go alcohol free. I don't want those people to feel that there isn't a place for them in our community and that there isn't something for everybody to learn. After all, it is a learning process and changing your drinking is certainly not linear. And so I, my, our philosophy and is very much around focusing people on creating the life that they want. 
and working out where alcohol may fit into that. And it may take some some fits and starts for them to to work that out. They may give up for a year and then start drinking again and then realize that's not working for them. Gosh, how many times that happens in our community. But everybody's welcome, whatever and whenever. So how does your program work? If, if, if somebody was thinking, wow, I really like your approach, how, how do people get involved and what does this program involve? Well, at the very simplest, you can just follow us on, on Instagram and read what we write and join our community on Facebook for free. And we also have a free three-day course that introduces you to our philosophy. Um, but in 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 basics, what we do is we ask people to take some time to reflect on their drinking habits, where they drank, who they drank with, what they dry, drank, the things that they enjoyed about drinking, the things that they don't like you know these are these are quite common tools in this space but certainly we we try and get people to spend quite a lot of time reflecting and thinking about that because if you just set yourself the target of right I'm not going to drink tomorrow there's um there's not a lot to hook that goal on you're you're hooking um a change based on what you're going to take away not what you want to achieve at the end of it and of course achieving you know, some of our members have said that their goal is to be a better grandparent or that they want to have a more active lifestyle or they want to be more productive in their job. And if you can get people to focus on that overall goal and then thinking about what it is that the, about their drinking habits that's stopping them getting there and who it is that they drink with and what it is that they drink, so they can, can be in, begin to think about their triggers. Then you begin to build up a more rounded view of where it is, the destination that you're going to, so that when you do have to make decisions about whether you want to drink today or whether you're going to break your your um, goal that you've set yourself of not drinking, that you're you're matching it to the bigger picture that you're trying to achieve and you know I, I you know I'm very clear that there is night there's no there's no oh gosh wouldn't it be wonderful if there was just a, a program that that worked perfectly first time every time uh, wouldn't we all just love that but there isn't but there is lots of different programs that you can do that will take you through a process of reflecting thinking learning building skills building confidence building your own self-efficacy and that's where where we are. And I don't mind if people go through our program lots of times. If they go off and do other people's programs, I'm perfectly fine. I I have no um, people don't have to just subscribe to one thing. They need to really just delve deep into all the things that are available, learn through everything that's out there, and then begin to um, use all of the that stuff that they've learned to build their self efficacy. And so we're one of those ways. So if if I was somebody who was on your program and I was somebody who said, OK, I want to be able to drink once a month and I've been on your program for a couple of years and I just keep on ending up picking up and actually binging and keep on saying I want to drink once a month. Would you encourage that to try and keep on just drinking once a month or would you encourage them well perhaps maybe you need to let go of drinking and try a different way I would ask them to sit and do some of the exercises so that they can get to that answer themselves otherwise it's me telling people what to do and quite frankly I'm bad at that at the best of times um, but it's not my job to tell people what to do it's what I want to do is to give people the confidence and the skills to be able to make that decision for themselves and yes there are people that I see that I desperately want to say for goodness sakes just stop stop now but 
I mean, I think you know and I know that when people aren't ready to do it, and they're not going to do it just because you tell them to. They'll do it because they've got there themselves. And so I want to be there for people. And we have people who've been with us all of the five years and have, have been, you know, alcohol-free for six months and drunk again and come back. Um, they tried moderating and they've, um, you know, learned some moderation tools and given that a go, come back. And, and that's fine. Um, you know, at the end of the day, it's still a very personal journey. Um, we give as much support as we can to help you get to the solution that's right for you. And that includes, you know, weekly sessions with our coach, Drew, who does a, a weekly breathing space. And we've got a separate community for those people on our courses so we can give extra attention. But certainly um, I would I would love to be able to swoop in and tell people that this is the answer and just follow what I say and it will all be all right because that doesn't work because it wouldn't have worked for me either because I'm stubborn. <laughs> really? Okay. And I'm very belligerent, which um, people <laughs> who drink generally are, right? <laughs> yeah. So what does being mindful about drinking mean if you were to teach somebody to be mindful about drinking? Well, I use mindful drinking as a bit of an umbrella term. I, I should tell you where this came from, actually, because we um we're very um we're very pro-social and pro-low and no alcohol drinks as, as one of the substitution tools that you can use to change your drinking habits. And um and very early on, we produced something called the Club Soda Guide, which is a guide to all the low and no alcohol drinks and all the pubs that sell them. And we began to rank pubs and bars out of five for how good they were um, for their low and no drinks offer. It was a project that we did with Hackney and City of London councils, which has got the biggest concentration of pubs in the whole of the country. And we visited oh, wow. 400, we visited 400 pubs to talk to them about low and no alcohol drinks, how to, um, how to look after their non-drinking guests better. And then we scored them all out of five, right, for how good they were for going to if you weren't drinking this evening or wanted to drink less. And I actually wanted to call it a guide for healthier drinkers. But because we talk about low alcohol as well, so beers that would be like around 2.5% a table beer, um, we couldn't call it a guide for healthier drinkers because we would be talking about alcohol and health in the same sentence, and that's not legally allowed. And so we had to find a word that we thought that would work. And so mindful was the only one that, that was left that felt right. So we, we launched the guide, a guide for mindful drinkers, and it was to encourage people who would take, you know, even for people who just wanted to go for a drink during a weeknight, but may go out the weekend and drink or because they're going to the gym tomorrow. We really talked about why you might still go to the pub, but you don't have to drink, basically, which for me is one of the big social levers, right, around changing your drinking. So we ran this massive campaign. It was really popular. And people really like the phrase mindful drinker. So we use that phrase as a bit of a catch-all, really, to say that I'm an alcohol-free mindful drinker. And Drew describes himself as an alcohol-free by default um, mindful drinker. And I know people who call themselves moderate drinking mindful drinkers. For me, it allows um, or everyone to go, well, okay, I, we, I drink mindfully. I think very carefully about how much I drink and when I drink. And that may also mean that you've never drunk or drink very little naturally or don't even drink for religious reasons. So, you know, when we did our festival in Glasgow, we had a huge number of Muslim speakers at the event as well, talking about um, why social venues in Glasgow needed to get a bit better at catering for their needs. And so for me, it's a great term. Because it means that whatever happening, this is a group of people who think carefully about what they're drinking and why they're drinking it. 
and trying to make sure that alcohol doesn't take over their lives. And secondly, it becomes a very compelling argument when you go and talk to venues about changing uh, what they stock behind the bar, because the number of people who are teetotal in Britain is about 4 million. But the number of people who are moderating their drinking alongside that means that that's a market of 25 million. And suddenly that becomes more interesting when you talk to venues about putting a good alcohol-free beer behind the bar or an alcohol-free spirit or a really good premium soda. And so um, I like speaking up for all mindful drinkers because there's an area of commonality that we all have, which is not being treated like a second-class customer when we go to the pub or bar. We want to be treated equally well and given equally good drinks and equally good service. That That's just fantastic. My heart just sings as I hear you speak about that because we know when we're, we're dealing with this issue of alcohol and alcoholism, that actually is not just the individual that needs to change, society needs to change. And the fact that you've actually done this, this survey and actually spoken to, to pubs and landlords of pubs to get them to change the way they think about drinking, we, the way we, they think about their customers is fantastic. Yeah, and we now speak at all the trade shows. I speak at every single licensed trade show in the country at the moment. And I'm about to speak at one in Canada because I've, I've been, um, you know, you've got some nice brands coming out in Canada. And because we do the research around this stuff, we talk about the size of market, we talk about why it's important, why the margins are just as good for venues, in fact, better than if they're just serving everyone a, a crap Coke, basically. Um, and so um, it's only part of the story, of course, to changing people's drinking. But it's a really important part because I realized early on that people's perception that they would lose their social life is one of people's biggest barriers to even starting to try and change their drinking yeah. to begin with. Yeah. Recovery and of course capital, we call it. Yeah. Ah, oh, you do. Well, but of course, of course your social life changes. And, and that's also because we also think we're having the social life we did when we're 20, but we're, we're seriously not anymore, right? <laughs> but my social life is way better than it was um, then. It just doesn't always take place near midnight. And um, and things do change. But I also know, know that the pubs and bars in Britain are getting a lot better and that that I can go into like the pub at the end of the road where I'm staying at the minute and they have two craft alcohol-free beers on there behind that bar. And now the 10th biggest selling craft beer of all in the UK is an alcohol-free beer. That the biggest selling version of ghost ship that Adnams produces their alcohol-free one, you know, it's mind-boggling. And this wasn't happening six years ago. And we've been part of that by... Um, creating a voice for the consumer generally as well as you know supporting people through behavior change to help them change their drinking well well done well well, well done so your program does it cost do, do people have to pay to be part of your program yeah so it's 40 pounds which i do not know how much that is in canadian dollars uh but it's it's not it's very much it's definitely less than probably five bottles of wine basically here in the uk Mind you, there's some very cheap wine, but obviously I never drank the cheap wine because I didn't have a problem, right? <laughs> well, you didn't um, drink so, Kabar. <laughs> no, no, we, we, it, we, we love to kid ourselves in this country. The more that you spend on a bottle of wine, the less of, of a problem you have. But anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so it's about the cost of that. It's £40 and you get time with Drew. You get um, a programme that was fun. The research to build it was um, funded by the Wellcome Trust, which is an international health charity. 
Um, we The programme is also free to anybody who works in the hospitality sector in the UK through our partnership with the Drinks Trust. So if you work with alcohol, and for me, this is one of our biggest wins, that the hospitality sector trusts us enough to have written a programme and, and make it available to all of the staff in the industry so that they can work safely with alcohol. Um, so it's free if you work in that sector. And we've got a version for students as well that we roll out to, to students at this time of year. So it's, it's yeah, £40. And there's a free three-day one and you can try us out. And if you like us, that's awesome. And if you don't, we'll happily signpost you to lots of other amazing people in this space who may be able to support you. Because it's not there's not a one size fits all. Well, just to do the the, the translation that in Canadian dollars that's seventy dollars, and in US dollars it's about fifty five. It's about fifty five dollars for the program. So, do you have meetings? Is it meeting based, or or do you encourage people perhaps that you come here for the program and encourage people to go to meetings, or you don't encourage people to do anything? Um, we. Um... We are mostly online, so people can go on at any time of day or night, and there'll be people there talking online, both on Facebook and in our um, our group on Slack. Um, so that's what we encourage. Before COVID, we did actually have local volunteers who would regularly organise a social. Very much, we always organise our socials in pubs so people could practise a new behaviour in a familiar setting, um, which I always really enjoyed. And pubs around the UK were the most amazing hosts and were always brilliant. We always found venues with really good um, alcohol-free options. We haven't restarted those, but there's actually a lot of people doing socials now in this country. And we advertise their events for free on our website. Because again, you know, I want people to know what's available out there. It doesn't all have to be organized by us. We're an incredibly collaborative organization. What we do do is the Mindful Drinking Festival, which you're speaking at in October online, but it started as a real world festival and we've done seven festivals. And the biggest one we do is in January, which is two days in the Truman Brewery and 10,000 people come to the Mindful Drinking Festival in January. It's utterly amazing. Um, and it started so small and it's now so big, but obviously we've not had one of those since COVID. So we're hoping to bring that back soon as well. Yeah, we'll be talking, we'll, we'll be talking about the, the, the month long summit that you do. There's just yeah. a few more things that I want to, to speak to you about. I know you at, at the beginning, you did speak to a bit of the misconceptions, but as I was um, doing a little bit of research on you, I saw this thing, myths and myths and misconceptions about problem drinking that drew your partner speaks about and i just wondered what what are some of the myths and misconceptions about drinking God, i don't know what he wrote in that one <laughs> well, but there's gosh now you put me on the spot well I, I think there's lots of things you know i often everything from you know drinking will help us lose weight and red wine's good for you all the way through to really um i realized that i held on to some real myths about alcohol to justify my drinking. So I can't be social without alcohol, or I'm nervous, so I need alcohol to meet people. Isn't it awful that we've, we've actually turned something, which is one of the most wonderful thing in the world, which is meeting new people into something that we think we can only do if we're half drunk. It's just ridiculous. All the way through to alcohol relaxes me. 
and um, and and alcohol gives me confidence, and alcohol de-stresses me. How many times did I think I had a stressful day in order to justify opening the bottle of wine at the end of the day? That's not stress. That was never stress. <laughs> I've had far more stressful days than that since all of those days when I was drinking. And we we hold on to them because we want them more to be true because they help us justify continuing to drink. You know, I once spoke to somebody who said oh yeah, but it's my daughter's wedding coming up and it wouldn't be a wedding without champagne. I thought, no, it wouldn't be a wedding without a bride and groom and the marriage nuptials. That's the most important thing about a wedding. When did a wedding get reduced to the fact that you put something that is technically a poison in everybody's hands? I mean, meh. So we, and I think once you be able, once you're able to sit back from that a little bit, you begin to see how much those get used in order to justify drinking. Like, you know, having... You know, that uh, in the lead up to Christmas, the justification of having a Bucks Fizz at breakfast. I mean, a Bucks Fizz is terrible. It was designed to justify allowing you to drink drink at breakfast time by adding some orange juice to champagne and calling it a celebration. So, um, so yes, we, we begin to need to knock back those myths because some of those we hold on to a little bit too dear and they stop us changing. Mm. Yeah, lovely. <laughs> You're a bit of a firecracker. That's what I was thinking, a bit of a firecracker, which well, is great. I told you, I told you I've got a background in politics. I'm very good at talking. <laughs> no, it's 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 great. Um I I was very curious, um this thing about racism and drinking, which you, you speak to, and um I was curious about it because as you know, in well, you might not know, but often in, in the rooms of certain recovery meetings, um, people are told, why are you talking about race? Why are you talking about gender? We're here to talk about alcohol. And I noticed that actually you had something to say about this. Yeah, I think, um, and quite rightly, last year during Black Lives Matter, we were all challenged to look at the things that we do in order to break down what is structural racism um, across the world. And it was um, it was a really interesting time for me because I've all of my the reason why I ever got involved in politics um, was because of fighting for equality, particular gender equality. And I was actually the national lead on in local government for the whole of the country on equalities when I was in my late twenties. Um, so things like I was responsible for helping bring in civil partnerships and all of those sort of things in the UK. I worked for Stonewall. Um, so equalities is very much something that I've, I've fought for, but I'm obviously um, a white queer woman. And so um, I have not been affected by racism, but I didn't want to do something that was um, performative last year that just said, oh, here you are, here's a black box on an Instagram to show some support. Um, and I wanted to raise the fact that um, for me, the one thing that changing drinking very much did for me was to reconnect me back with my values and in fact over the last um guess 10 years of my drinking so in my 30s I, I got elected and did quite a lot very young and then I drank a lot during my 30s and slowly in my 30s I lost the energy to be able to connect at all with the things that I really cared about such as social justice issues and equalities and changing my drinking um, reconnected me back with that. I suddenly had the brain space to be able to reconnect, to ask the questions that I needed to ask about the things that I care about and to try and work out what I could do. And one of the most important things that I have learned since changing my drinking is to be able to stop 
and listen to other people's experiences and accept them to be true and not fight for my position of being an uncomfortable white woman around some of this stuff, but to listen and respect those experiences and then work out that what we can do to make that better. Um, and that actually goes across the piece, even in, in changing drinking. People can often get very judgmental about other people in the space because they may have lapsed and had a drink or they may not, people may be changing their drinking in, in one way when people think they should be doing it in another. And actually, we need to all have respect for each other's lived experience and to listen to it, understand it as being true and then work out what we can do to support and help and ask what that might be. We don't all have the answers, but being sober, not being continually hung over, definitely gives you the brain space to be able to ask, ask those questions and connect with people in a very different way. I wish I did have all the answers, but I don't. But what I can do is ask the right questions and connect with people like you who can tell me what your experience is and what we can do to change that. And I'm always ready to learn. I certainly wasn't ready to learn when I was continually hung over because there's no energy. There was no brain space. So I'm really pleased. I, I you know, and when all of that lies happened last year and continues uh, to this day, um, all of that fight, I feel at least pleased that I have the brain power to connect with it. Mm. That's quite a long answer, but That's I want okay. you to understand that. We like long answers. <laughs> well, um, you know, I. Uh, means I get to do less speaking. Yeah, but there is something about the, uh, I cannot, I, I cannot underestimate how, how much, I, I always thought I was a people person. I learn most through talking to people. I've, I've an extrovert tendency, so I learn through talking to others. And um, in, in my last few years of drinking, I had stopped doing that because it was too much like hard work to speak to other people and to engage when you're hungover. So to be able to get that capacity back and then work out how I use the knowledge that I get that other people share with me about their lives and what happens to them is probably one of the greatest gifts. Um, and connecting with people is an amazing gift. And I don't want people to hide that behind thinking that that's only something they can do when they're drunk, because it isn't. Doing it sober is just amazing. Thank you. Just a, cu a couple more, uh, a couple more things. The first thing is I'm curious. Um, if somebody came along to your program and said, what are good books to read? Because we, we know that often people want books to help them. Are there, are there certain books that you would recommend? Apart from uh, my book, of course. Uh, <laughs> your book. And we've got a book as well on how to be a mindful drinker. Um, very uh, uh, other books here. Uh, God, you put me on the spot. Um, let me think. There's, I, there's a really good book that I read not long after giving up drinking called Constructive Wallowing. I found that really amazing because it allowed me to, I'm not sure about you, but after you give up drinking, it's like this emotional roller coaster. It's like I had to do all my emotional development really, really quickly on fast forward. And I didn't often know how to sit with my feelings and to understand that they were normal and they're okay. Mm. Um, and you talked about myths. One of the myths we have, some people say is I'm still feel, I'm feeling miserable. Clearly giving up drinking isn't working. And I'm like, no, now you need to deal with the reason why you're miserable. It wasn't, don't go back to drinking. So Constructive Wallowing was a really good book for me. Um, but there's also The Unexpected Joy of Being Sober, um, which is a really good book. And again, takes you through a really good personal story of the writer. Um, and uh, what else can I recommend? God, there's so many books out now. Quit Lit is such a big space. Um, <coughs> it's 
excuse me. Um, and I'm trying to remember names of books. And That's okay. I was just curious the ones book. which are at the top of your mind. So yeah. let, 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 let's go to your marathon. The whole of October, you have uh, Club Soda. Actually, before we go on to, into this, Club Soda, are you sponsored by Club Soda? Isn't Club Soda a drink? Club Soda in the States is an umbrella term for fizzy water. Um, so it's not actually a brand. It's just a, it's just, it's posh word for fizzy water. Who knew? But we like the idea of Club Soda. We like so posh to, words. We like posh yeah, words. Um, but I wanted to create something that didn't have the word sober in it, but felt like a club. And Club Soda seemed like the right words. Mm -hmm. so, soda rhymes with sober. So yeah. So so that's it's it has no association we are completely um self-funded uh by uh people who buy our courses and some of the activities that we do um it's been a hard job but um but yeah we're getting there great so the marathon that is happening in october yeah so we uh Last year during uh, lockdown one um, in July, we put on a festival that went 24 hours a day for four days so that we could try and bring together all the people around the world working in this space. We love being collaborative at Club Soda. Um, it, I really love speaking to other people with different perspectives and from other parts of the world. And we did uh, a huge agenda, <coughs> excuse me, um, for four days. This time we're spreading it over a month. Here in the UK, um, October is a popular month to give up drinking as well as January. Okay, so Club Soda has a marathon beginning in October. Tell me about it. Yeah, we've got a festival happening over the whole month of October in the UK that's a popular month for giving up drinking, a bit like January. And we've got panels and workshops to help you through taking a month off drinking. So all of the panels are questions like, how do I plan for a month off drinking? How do I keep motivated? How do I reform my um, rethink my identity as a non-drinker? How do I socialize sober? How do I make friends sober? So all the questions that we get asked over the period of a month, we've got panels. We've also got really interesting speakers that we're doing Q&As with, like you. And we've also got Millie Gooch. We've got um, um, Sharu Azadi, who is one of my just favorite people who wrote the book, The Kindness Method. Why I didn't mention that when you asked me about books, I do not know. And so we've got Q&As with very particular people that we want to introduce you to over the month, as well as workshops. So there's a lot of activity. We also will be doing um, our, some cocktail sessions on our Instagram with different brands and different people like Camille Vidal from La Maison Wellness, so that you can mix up some lovely drinks too. A bit of everything to get you through the month. And we'll see how that goes. Of course, uh, October is also Black History Month in England too. Oh, why? Why did I think that was March? Maybe that's Queer History Month. It's queer. Oh, no. oh my! Yeah. It's February is Queer History Month. Um, October is Black History Month. I I I now need to go and sort that out, don't I? <laughs> <laughs> what is there to sort out? What would you do? What is there to sort uh, out? Well, actually, there must be quite a big history around. Um, um, black influence in both the temperance movement in history there's actually quite a big academic um network in the uk of people who do work around the history of the temperance movement and most of the temperance movement in the uk that there is history written about 
is all white dudes with beards, like very particular beards are the ones that go around here, like here, but not over their moustache. They actually ran a who had the biggest beard competition in their conference. They had, and they did have a conference. And I suspect that there's probably quite a lot of unwritten history in this space. Do you want to tell our audience what the temperance movement is? I'm not sure if I'm I fully qualified. I mean, the temperance movement comes from a number of points here in the UK and probably in the States too. One through religious roots to create what was, I guess, the early forms of the AA, but the other through the, the workers' movement. So there's lots of connections with um, trade unions and the workers' rights movements, particularly in the north of England, around making sure that, that men who ended up down mines and all sorts didn't end up always too drunk and therefore um, dangerous. So there, there's both religious and workers' rights mm. um, to that. But it would actually be interesting to... to to look at what's missing from that history. Yeah, I mean, it's, it is it is interesting because we know the movement is about the, the, the movement is, is about the um, social movement against the consumption of alcohol. That's where the temperance movement came from. And I think what's, there is some interesting work coming out of the States. There's somebody called Sean Foreman, who's really looking at how sugar was used um, with enslaved people, and I always talk about alcohol being liquid sugar. Yeah, but I, yeah. what what I find really interesting is is that actually the AA movement, or if we call it the Temperance movement, begins a lot later than it did in the states. Because I can remember being in the states in the eighties and people talking about being in AA, and forget it, people never spoke about that. In, in the UK. It's only been over the past 10 years that I've had friends coming out about being in, in AA. Although it's been around a lot longer in, than that in the UK, and the language of AA has seeped very much into it. I mean, language that comes from the AA has meanings assigned to it that, that um, here in the it's UK... Been around a lot, it's been around a lot longer, but it hasn't been as fashionable to be in AA. But I think there's a number of reasons for that. And I think because we're slightly more secular than the States and the religious undertones are, are very yeah. different. I mean, AA certainly isn't for me for a lot of reasons. Um, and and I, I often speak to women who find that AA is definitely not for them. So it's so I mean, that's that's interesting in itself, I guess. And I wonder if that's part of it. Um, but, yeah, you talk about the liquid sugar thing. I mean, a feminist critique of um, alcohol and the way that alcohol controls women in a modern society is is just fascinating on, on its own. And certainly, you can't uh, the 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 gin o'clock. The I'm the reason why mummy's a wine drinker. Baby grows. The birthday cards that suggest it's not possible to go a, a year older without being half pissed. Have you ridiculous. read? Have you read Quit Like a Woman? Uh, yes, I have. Yeah, so, which is Holly's you know. a, a friend of mine. So, yeah, but but just coming back to this, I think it is it it is interesting because as I mean, if if we look at the history of AA, there was a whole debate whether to let black people in or not. Okay, so you know, so that that's been a history, yeah. and they did, they 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 did, but they had to discuss it whether they were going to allow this black man to come into the rooms of AA. 
And what I'm noticing is that actually in England, there is a whole movement of black people getting involved with, with AA. But coming back to just, I think just really interesting is, is that your, your marathon during October is the same time as Black History Month will be happening. Yeah. Cool. Excellent. Yeah. It's a good, it's a good empowering month to quit drinking. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So is there anything else that you would like to impart to my listeners? I'd, I'd say the predominance of my listeners are people who are Buddhist or Buddhist or people who are just really interested in something alternative or something different. I think I would just say to, to people that, um, that you certainly you have to find your motivation for changing drinking and that motivation may be part of of the life that you're trying to build for yourself and I think it is about um, uh, aligning your your values and for me certainly I, I regained my values by changing my drinking but it may work the other way around for you and there is no one size fits all. So do feel free to shop around in this space and find the voices that speak to you and, and be part of that and engross yourself in it because you will learn. You will, you will vicariously learn from lots of different people. And that's really important because we're navigating a very alka-centric world and you need all the tools you can get. Thank you very much. We have been listening to Laura Willoughby, the founder of Club Soda. And I call the firecracker who's actually changing... <laughs> changing institutions pub institutions in the uk in the way they think about drinking yay well done thank you over and out that was absolutely wonderful thank you before you go we'd like to remind you again of the european eight step recovery summit beginning october 2nd and the academy on sunday october 3rd for more information please visit our website BuddhistRecovery.org. Hi, I'm Vimla Sara, President of the Buddhist Recovery Network. Our mission is to help promote the use of Buddhist teachings and practices to help people recover from the suffering caused by addictive and or compulsive behaviors. Our organization is a volunteer-run nonprofit which has expenses. We offer free monthly live teachings on the Academy, free resources on our website, and all our podcasts are free. We also organize a bi-yearly summit where many of us come together. We rely on the generosity of you, our listeners, and our interviewees in order to produce these offerings. We are asking you to donate to help with our expenses, thank you, and to show our gratitude for your support. All Patreon supporters will receive access to special guided meditations. To unlock these, please offer your support by going to patreon.com forward slash Buddhist Recovery Network again patreon.com forward slash Buddhist Recovery Network. Thank you so much for your generosity. May all beings be free from the roots and the causes of suffering. May all beings be at peace.